Imagine that. Me, Vince McMahon. Imagine that. Here I am on WCW television. How can that happen? Well, there's only one way. You see, it was just a matter of time before I, Vince McMahon, bought my competition. That's right. I own WCW. Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. We are proudly a part of the post-wrestling family. I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. And just as millions of people across the country tuned in for what was surprisingly the final Nitro, I'm going to say dozens of people have tuned in to find out this is surprisingly the final episode of Keep It 2000. Yes, we wanted to give you guys a, a solid goodbye, and we're not going to dwell on that. We're going to save that to the end. In fact, uh, let's actually just concentrate on the good times rather than the sadness that awaits us. Nate, how are we doing on this, our, our final voyage? Yeah, I, I will say off the top, I'm a bit surprised. You know, I, it was summertime on the satellite. We're coming off of a big show with uh, Brother Lance Storm giving his opinions on that last episode of Keep It 2000. And, and uh, you know, things change. The, the, the world is nothing if not uh, always moving forward. But but I'm glad we can reunite here on the universe's favorite interracial, cross-generational, pop culture, pro wrestling show dedicated to the genius of one, Vince McMahon? Yes, it is Vincent K. McMahon is now the one we can blame for uh, all this shit on this episode because, boy, do I have someone to complain about, and I'm so <laughs> glad that it still is a man named Vince. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned Lance Storm. I'm going to be, uh, I'm gonna come clean. This whole podcast from day one was just an excuse to get us to talk to Lance Storm. I'm upset that it took 32 episodes, but Lance, it finally happened, and that's why we're packing it up. Mission accomplished. I mean, we, we've been to the mountaintop. There's no other reason to ascend any higher, sir. Uh, but yeah, this, this is going to be fun because I think this particular episode of Nitro is one of the most well-remembered without people actually remembering what was on the show, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Like I think every <laughs> exactly. everybody remembers this night, but I don't think people remember exactly the details of what was on this program. So I'm glad that you know you and I and and our uh, fellow test subject this week have a chance to break down this historic episode of wrestling programming for the people. Yes, and you mentioned tonight's test subject. He's kind of the unofficial third member of the satellite. You've heard his work every episode. He composed our theme song. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Urbanovich is with us. So you went to the top of the mountain, did you, with Lance Storm? And now look where you are. <laughs> back to the bottom with Chris Urbanovich. Back in town. We're at the summit. Blimey. 
Well, Chris, thank you so much for 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 joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure. This was kind of last minute that you jumped right yeah. in, and um, as I mentioned, Nate and I we're going to get into the the sad side of things, why the show's wrapping up and ending. But we're going to do that at the end, Nate. Chris, you don't have to worry about any of that. Uh, we're just going to have fun with you right now, okay? Right. No, I love it. I'm, I'm well up for this. Now, uh, as we do every episode, we got to take a pause. We got to look at what was going on with the music charts. And, <laughs> and Nate, I'm so happy that this song was number one this episode because it truly was a flash black because the number one song in America, The Day of This Nitro, was All For You by Janet Jackson. Mm. <laughs> Nate, you're gonna, uh, you're gonna yes, give me a little yes. bit of that for me, you know, as usual. As it's, it seems <laughs> to be a bit of a uh, a recurring theme, but can you give us a bit? I of mean, it, if, if, I mean, it's it's you know, stepping to the shoes of Miss Jackson is is oh, not Janet an easy Jackson. task. But if I can remember, uh, all the girls in the party, it's all for you. The worst thing about that is that I know exactly what song it is it now. Yeah, that was so that was blindingly accurate. <laughs> was this played at the Super Bowl the next year? Or would it wouldn't have been this year? Ooh, I I don't know if that was on the set list. Was that the Tits Out Timberlake Super Bowl? Yes, that <laughs> the infamous uh I remember, was that 2000 or 2001 that Super Bowl? Mm, I want to say 2001. I, I could be wrong. Okay. Facts checkers can uh, double double check that for me, but I want to say that was 01. Oh, man. If only we had done the last three months of this show, we would have known for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but hey, uh, let's not wait anymore. Let's jump in and take a look at this, the final episode of WCW Nitro. What is the fate of WCW? Well, tonight, in a special simulcast... You'll all find out, because the fate, the very fate of WCW is in my hands. The episode starts with something we've seen many times, the WCW logo, and then we transition to something we thankfully have only seen once up until this point, but we'll see many more times as the evening goes on. Vincent Kennedy McMahon is in front of the Raw is War set. Vince explains that he now owns WCW and that the fate of WCW is in his hands and we will all find out what that means in a special simulcast with Raw later tonight. This was actually the perfect preview for what the invasion would end up being. It was a lot of WCW performers just being pushed aside for McMahon drama. This moment is still surreal, you know, 17, 18 years later. Knowing that this is how the show opens, knowing what was to come, not only on this episode, but with the entire acquisition of uh, WCW by the WWE, even knowing all that, Brian, it was still surreal turning on this episode of Nitro, and the first person we see on the screen following the WCW logo is Vince McMahon, and it it took me back to that night in, in 01, where I didn't know what the hell were we were going to see uh, this night. I didn't know what the hell was in store for my favorite company. I didn't know what was in store for my favorite performers. And this was kind of the 
the beginning of a of an impending sense of dread and doom, which uh, ultimately was borne out. I, I was ultimately proven right. Uh, but yeah, this this was a an iconic way to to kick off this edition of Nitro. You guys were both watching live at the time, I take it, right? Correct. Yep. So this is I, this is a kind of like a slightly hazy time for me because they stopped showing WCW in about in the UK in about two thousand and one, just like around this time. So there's a few things that I didn't understand about wrestling. So, you know, we didn't have the internet back in the 90s and early 2000s and everything. And there's a few things that I just didn't quite understand. There was one where Sting just turned up and he was dressed like the crow. There was one where Undertaker stopped his gimmick and turned into a biker. And the other one was when WCW just disappeared. (laughs) And, you know, I didn't understand that for years and years and years until I had to do some research. But you guys saw this live so was it sort of making sense or was there something in the news or did you know about it previously well it was for me i was very active uh online and by that i mean i went to wcw.com a lot and nothing else (laughs) so i was not aware of online rumors or anything i just went to wcw.com and the front page said wwf buys wcw Mm. um i would go on to wcw.com almost every Monday morning to see what was going to be on Nitro that night. This blew my mind. Um, I got on the phone. I called my dad. I had to tell him. Like, I thought he would give a fuck. And he he feigned interest. Uh, I just, I couldn't believe it. I really was taken aback. And then uh, I tuned in that night and I saw this. Now, Nate, you, you were a little more up on dirt sheets and things like that. Did you see this coming? How, when did you first become aware that this sell, that the sale had actually happened? I think the first I got an inkling of things not being on the on the best of footing uh, for the company, uh, it would have been maybe a week before this. Uh, you know, I was I was big on the the Yahoo uh, chat rooms, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know there there were there were uh, words, there were words being being whispered in hushed tones about WCW and and. Is Eric Bischoff coming back, or you know what's who's going to take over? And and then somebody said, uh, you know, the WWE is looking to buy WCW, and I didn't believe it. It it seemed way too far fetched, Brian. Man, it it seemed preposterous uh, that this was going to occur. I, so I I didn't. That was the one rumor I didn't bite on uh, from the vaunted a uh, Yahoo uh, chat rooms back in the day, but. I guess maybe that day, uh, much like you, I had uh, WCW.com bookmarked, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I saw it there, and and yeah, I, I was uh, I was shocked. I, you know, there's, there's very little in wrestling that shocks me and actually, you know, makes me kind of do a double take, but this did. Uh, this was something that I didn't think was going to happen. I thought for sure that. You know, Bischoff was going to find a way to garner control of the company and then, you know, work things out with Turner. But uh, no, this was actually happening. And, and so, yeah, that Monday would have been the first time where I actually saw that this was a reality. It just goes to show, like, how little was actually on the Internet back then as far as um, information and backstage. And, you know, you obviously had Meltzer and everything back then, but it wasn't readily available like it is now. And I think that needs to sort of, like, be emphasized the announcers speculate on what vince has to say 
and announces that five titles will be on the line tonight. Yes, this episode was called Night of Champions, one of many, many things that WWE mm. would pick from the, uh, the graveyard that was WCW. Midlife crisis, Ric Flair then walks to the ring. Spiked hair gel and all. Uh, he has been the heel authority figure for the last couple of months. Rick name drops some former and current NWA WCW greats. Steamboat, Harley Race, Dusty Rhodes, Lex Luger, none of whom are on this show. And Bagwell. I popped huge for Bagwell. And Bagwell. <laughs> and Luger. Also not on this show. Rick name drops some other workers, including Arn Anderson and the Four Horsemen. He then brought out the other horsemen for a touching tribute. I'm just kidding. They weren't there either. Rick says WCW has rung neck and neck with the WWF for years. Rick brags even more and says that when Vince was an announcer, his father voted for Flair to become the NWA world champion. Rick tells Vince that he can't control WCW, which would end up being a shoot. Rick says his greatest opponent of all time in this company was Sting, so he challenges Sting to one last match tonight until they'd have another match 10 years later in TNA. We then cut to a sign in the crowd. Did either of you guys catch this sign? Does it end in dumbass by any chance? Yes. <laughs> a very prophetic sign. First, the XFL, now WCW. Vince, you're a dumbass. Two <laughs> brands Vince would take over the next year. Uh, can I just say, there was, there was another thing, like a bit of a kayfabe breaker that you mentioned about, um, about the Flair promo about Vince um, or Vince's father giving him you know, the, the OK yeah. go to be the NWA yeah. champion. He also said something uh, in his promo that, you know, he's he's wrestled for 45 minutes every night, cuts himself five times. And then I was like, what? You just you just sort of like tell tell everyone that you just blade because like, this is 2001. <laughs> and like he's talking about just like, yeah, dead proud of it. Five times blade. Blah, 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 blah. I just splooging blood out every single night. I'm just like, dude, you're on television. <laughs> Slow it down, mate. Yeah, this was this was kind of a weird promo. Like it 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 was good in that it was one of those Ric Flair roll call promos, which always worked for me, where he's just naming a bunch of old guys, you know, mm -hmm. Terry Funk and, and Harley Race and Jack Briscoe, and you know, I, I can I can get behind that. Marcus Alexander Bagwell, <laughs> Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger. Uh, but uh, oh, yeah, yeah oh, when yeah. when he kind of got into the shoot stuff going at Vince, it didn't work it felt kind of like when uh bischoff used to cut those promos against vince where it's like nothing is gonna really come from this and so it 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 worked ultimately because we got to you know flair and sting which is where this thing was headed mm -hmm. but if you actually sit back and don't just listen to the delivery you actually look at what rick flair said it's kind of a weird way to kick off the show yeah, I mean, I'm not going to fault any of the performers on this show. In fact, I, I didn't really take many notes watching the matches uh, on here. It's because everyone's in such a weird mood. Like, this has yeah. to be one of the weirdest wrestling shows ever produced. Because, so this show, if I'm not mistaken, was was run by Bruce Pit uh, was run by Bruce Pritchard. He was sent down to uh, uh, he was sent down to Florida to to run things. So how weird is that? Because I don't think the guys had been told anything till maybe a day or two in advance. And clearly a lot of the guys, uh, one of which, you know, there were clearly guys that were in Florida that were not on this show. And so this had to just be such a weird presentation for everybody involved. And the thing that's so interesting is the Night of Champions, uh, well, the thing that's interesting is the Night of Champions uh, 
pitch, like that whole title, was announced a week earlier by phone by Eric Bischoff. So this wasn't mm. W this wasn't WWF's idea. The the thing that happened was a week earlier, Eric Bischoff in a phone call said, next week could be the last episode of Nitro. My deal to buy the company fell through, and I'm inviting every former champion to return to the show. Uh, clearly only uh, one of them took him up on that <laughs> invite, but hey. I guess if it, if it was WCW, then they just would have just forgotten about the whole stipulation and just said, oh, it was a week ago, everyone will forget. But because it was WWF, then they just thought, oh, no, we've got, probably got to follow through with that because that's how wrestling companies work. Um, I'm just wondering, mm. like, there's a re- really like slightly bizarre dichotomy between a, um, a few of the talents, and it's either you're going to keep your job or you're going to go forward and this is your audition or like say Scotty Steiner who's just coming up like nah, fuck it he's out the door so he doesn't give a shit so there's a even though he, he probably had the best match there but there's a bit of a weird like you said there's a weirdness going on in there so uh, at this point Randy Savage sent in a tearful goodbye message just <laughs> kidding it was a Slim Jim ad that, that he was in <laughs> <laughs> Match number one, title for title, world champ Scott Steiner versus U.S. champ Booker T. Pretty big match to start the show off, but as noted, WWF was running creative this night, so there was no way they're going to put this opposite their own show. The referee is Nick Patrick, who would end up getting signed to WWE. These two lock up, and Booker gets a headlock. Booker tries to go behind, but gets blasted with a right. Steiner then dubs Booker out of the ring. Medeja hits Booker with a slap, then Steiner drops an axe handle from the apron. Steiner grabs his pipe. Takes a swing but misses. Hold on a second. Can I just say when he when he when he swung that pipe, Tony Schiavone really flippantly just said yeah. he tried to kill him, and then the match just went on. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> At least show a little bit of emotion, Shivanto. But you know, also there was another member of this uh, this match, which was Dave Penzer's Hawaiian shirt. So it's worth, oh, yes. it's worth making a note of that. <laughs> this was the spring breakout episode. So guys yep. came dressed for a party. <laughs> then it's like, oh, actually, you're being fired tonight. What kind of parties? Is, I mean, I've never, I'm, you know, I'm English, so I didn't, we didn't have like spring break. So I don't really know what people dress like. But none of the kids in the crowd were dressed in Hawaiian shirts. And I remember when Hall and Nash did their spring break <laughs> stuff. And they were all dressed up in the same gear as well. Like the big baggy shorts and the Hawaiian shirts. Do kids actually wear those things, or did they back then, or is it you know is it just Dave Penzer? Well, I know the previous year's spring break, uh, the young child known as Mean Gene had one on, so I'm gonna say yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, that answers my question. <laughs> so back in the ring, Booker hits a lariat, then goes to the ropes for an axe kick. Does a flapjack off the ropes into a spinneroonie. Harlem sidekick bookend, but Steiner blocks and hits a Northern Light suplex for a two. Booker flips out of a powerbomb attempt and book in Steiner for the win to get both titles. So a pretty quick match, but the crowd was into it, and WWF got the belts on the guy that they were getting ready to sign. Uh, five minutes, not not much to write home about, but a fine way to start the show. Like, none of the title matches on this episode are are awful, I would say. Well, one might be. This is my fourth time on the show, right? Yes. This was the best match I've seen. Oh, wow. Mm. In my opinion, yeah. Which tells you something about the previous three episodes. Feel free to go back and rewatch them, kids. Fuck you now. But no, I actually really enjoyed this. I thought it was a really solid match. Steiner worked his bollocks off. Booker was, I thought, I mentioned it in the last show that we had. Like, damn, how amazing of an athlete, just the way he moves and he has incredible timing. And I thought this was great. It was short. It could have done with an extra five minutes because it's a world title match. 
Um, I also like the fact that it's like a bit of a throwback to the old NWA days where the US champion was always the number one contender. I was like that. He never really was, but he kind of was at the same time. Um, so I like that kind of throwback. And I thought mm-hmm. it was a good match. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah, these guys always had good chemistry, um, you know, and then they, this this might have been one of their lesser matches just because of the time constraints. But with what they were given, I thought they went out there and had a pretty good title match. Um, I was curious as to kind of the direction behind the scenes. But now that you kind of laid that out, Brian, and, and uh, you know, this is kind of the WWF taking the reins here. Um, it, it, it makes sense, you know, that they're going to work with the people that aren't on those big term, long term deals, the guarantee contract. So, yeah, it, and, and it's the right decision, I think, from a, just a plain booking standpoint, uh, because Booker T is somebody and we'll see it later when Vince does his silly poll the crowd thing. Booker T is somebody that, you know, can still get a good reaction. And mm-hmm. it it's not the easiest thing to do being a. White meat baby face. Uh, I, I understand the irony of the term when using that uh, adjective on Booker T, but it's not the easiest thing to be a white meat baby face, particularly in in 01, and have that type of response and reaction from the crowd. So I uh, thought it was a good match, and uh, the right guy went over, in my opinion. We then get a video of all the bodacious babes of spring break enjoying the 1-800-COLLECT-sponsored fun with the WCW roster. Presumably, this footage was shot before the purchase was announced, <laughs> as everyone, like, it was like Disco Inferno and, like, Evan Courageous, guys that we did not see tonight. <laughs> Vince McMahon is then shown speaking you, on a... Wait, 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 wait. No, no, Brian Mann, no. You cannot speak about the, the luminaries that were here for this final Nitro, and then speak on that spring break piece and gloss over <laughs> the return of Ricky Rackman. <laughs> Rackman's back for the final Nitro. Hey, man, he got his paycheck. <laughs> Ricky, that, Those are the two things I noticed in that spring break video. Number one, Ricky Rackman's back, which is cool. And number two, Booker T is not only the is not just the only superstar of color uh, at the proceedings. He might be the only person of color in that entire video package. Like, nobody from, from an HBCU was at spring break this year. <laughs> I, I guess I no one wanted to party question. with Elix Skipper. <laughs> Who's Ricky Rackman? Oh, Ricky Rackman is is one of the legendary figures in, in WCW. He was an MTV VJ. Uh, was it the Headbangers Ball that oh, he was wait, also? Was he the white guy with two earrings in that in his left ear with the tattoos? Uh, I I, <laughs> I can't think of anyone else matching that description. He looked like a radio DJ. Yeah, he was like the presenter in, oh, in the piece. Yeah, because I remember, I remember thinking, like, that guy looks like a radio DJ. I have no idea who he is. And that's Ricky Rackman. So there you yep, go. That was re- former MTV VJ Ricky oh, Rackman. That was a pretty good guess. <laughs> that was a pretty good guess that he was a DJ. Blimey, he just looked like a creep. <laughs> so Vince McMahon is shown, once again, speaking on a phone, putting down WCW's final broadcast, being from a redneck Riviera on the Florida Panhandle, Really making sure the WCW audience turns into Raw next week. Match number two, this is for a shot at the Cruiserweight Tag Team titles later. Yes, there are now Cruiserweight Tag titles, and this is the last night you'll see them. So it was the Young Dragons <laughs> versus Three Count versus Kidman and Rey Mysterio. Total spot fest. Every guy here was just trying their hardest to secure a WWE contract. Ironically, the guy who won the match wouldn't end up in the Fed for two more years. Uh, it was Rey Mysterio hitting a slingshot guillotine leg drop onto uh, Shannon Moore for the win. 
So Kidman and Rey Mysterio are going to be going for uh, some titles no one gives a shit about uh, a little later on. Yeah, but at least it was nice. If this is our final Nitro, Brian, man, I think it's it's only fitting that we got to witness one last three-count Young Dragons match. One more time. <laughs> one more time. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was a video game match. Um, I was just thinking, I was just thinking like how shit Rey Mysterio looks, and it's not his fault, obviously, because they told him to take his mask off. They didn't tell him to put baggy pants and horns on. I'm assuming, but he looks like you know he's a superhero, and he he looks like <laughs> such an amazing like. When he was in, in WCW when he first came in, and he just like yeah, like I said, he looked like a superhero. And I was just thinking, God, he looks shit. And then I looked around and I was like, Wait, everyone looks shit. I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, I, I, I hate to pick on Shivante again, but um, uh, it was Shannon Moore, I think, who did. He did like his his finishing move. It was like a wrist clutch rocker dropper. And uh, Shivani goes, Shannon's going for his move, and that's how he called his finishing move. So thanks for that. Thanks for that, Tony. <laughs> way, to, way to put me over. Uh, but it was just like, yeah, everyone seemed to do their finishing moves. And then it was broken up by another member of the team. And then Ray uh, hit his leg drop after almost binning it, by the way, as well. Do you, do you remember when he got on that and did that springboard leg drop? He almost fell backwards. But he's so, he's so talented that it didn't re- even really matter. He almost fell and Tony said, incredible balance. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, those dodgy, dodgy, wonky WCW ropes, more like. So back to Raw, where Vince McMahon and Trish make out. Glad we're making time for this on our turn of programming. Match number three, Hold on, Chavo whoa, 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 whoa. We can't just go straight to the, the next match. Vince and Trish were making out, and then the camera... Yes, the camera, yes. You know where I'm going, Nate. You're a, you're a, you're a man with a lady, so yep. sure. I didn't want to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. There was a pop, and there was a, not a crowd pop, a champagne pop, and there is something that I can only describe as fruity jizz on the floor that I'm assuming was champagne, but it might have been something that Vince might have left earlier on in the night. It was fucking gross, and, and there was, obviously, it was, yeah. there's suggestion, and then there's just being really immature. You know, when Vince finally gets Me Too'd, they're going to have so much fucking footage to play his B-roll on the news. Why hasn't it happened yet? Why hasn't this not happened yet? For God's sake. I mean, it almost happened in the early 90s, didn't it, with his limo driver? Uh, or no, someone in his limo. I don't know. But it's been on the cards for so long, and he just hasn't been caught. How? How? <sighs> this... This entire theme of the night with Vince and 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 Trish and and later Vince and uh, you know Regal and and <laughs> Vince and just the the underlings in this company it's like if if I'm somebody in in WCW obviously you know you want to work you want to earn a paycheck but if I'm seeing like this is the way this guy is on camera with the people that he uh, ostensibly likes that are already under contract how the hell is he gonna book me? from a rival company that, that he probably has a bit of an axe to grind with. <laughs> I agree so much. There were, these segment ended with a jizz stain on the carpet. I, uh, I can't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> they zoomed in on it. They zoomed in on it. <laughs> oh. oh, sorry. My head is actually in my hands at the moment. Let's move on. Match number three, Chavo Guerrero goes for the Cruiserweight title against Sugar Shane Helms. Sugar Shane comes out with the Sugar Baby Dancers, but not with his DMX re- uh, 
but not with his DMX ripoff theme. Thanks, network. Uh, uh, Brian, Brian, man, do you mean uh, old dirty bastard ripoff theme? Oh, it was an ODB ripoff. Yeah, it's a it, the vertebrae theme was like uh, oh, I got him uh, in, uh, Jimmy Hart version of Shimmy Shimmy Ya. Yeah, that's right. I got I got him in uh, Elix Skipper confused. That's it. <laughs> yes, Elix Skipper was the was that's fake the DMX. That's happened because I got Mariah Carey and Janet Jackson mi- mixed up earlier on in the and the, what's going on here with our music. Um, speaking of music, can I also talk about Chavo's theme? That wasn't um, was that an original or was that dubbed over? Uh, I think remember? it was his actual. I think that's the okay, original. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that, and I remember maybe a couple of episodes ago there was a little bit of uh, you giving me a bit of Santana there, Nate, and uh, there was a bit of Santana in there before it went a little bit more sort of Barikwa <laughs> style. But I was really enjoying Chavo's music. I was getting into it, and then the old Helms ripoff kind of thing ruined it. That's why I wish they I wish they had Helms' real music because that that might have been one of the best segments we've seen on on this program because uh yeah I was always a fan of Chavo's WCW mm. music where it was like good it groove. was uh it was stereotypical but the yeah. groove was so good that yeah. you didn't mind it it's like you know what I'm I'm yeah, here for I was this into it. I was dead into it and then they they ruined it thanks Vince yes with the with Shane Helms and the, the Sugar Babies <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure about them are they. Were they Nitro girls that they just hired or just like that didn't get the job the first time around? Where I have to from? assume they were. Yeah, just like what? I have to assume they're just Nitro girls who were still hanging around, yeah. But did Helms get that entrance every single time? <laughs> was that his deal? That he danced with the yes. ladies? Well, that's, yeah. that's kind of uh, mm-hmm. kind of pretty cool. And, and he's also wearing white boots and only good guys wear white boots. I think Hunter got one look at a, at his gear and said, oh, I'll have a bit of that. like a fucking superhero. I'm taking that for myself. Yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> I, I, did, I did think of, of, of Triple H straight away because I think it was Jerry Lawler that said, oh, any good guys wear white boots. And then I just looked at Helms and just goes, God, he needs a needle in his ass. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a good wrestler. I really like uh, Hurricane, you know, when he came in. And I think Helms is a really good wrestler. He's the best out of three count by a mile. Um, but come on, just like, yeah. get that needle in your ass, young man. Come on. You're on television. <laughs> so uh, this was another spot uh, fest match. Uh, both guys would end up getting signed by uh, WWF, but uh, the finish comes when Helms calls for the vertebraker, but Chavo uh, hits him with, uh, but Chavo goes for a brain buster. Helms slips out and lands the vertebraker for the win. So uh, he retains the Cruiserweight Championship uh, on this episode. Yeah, another good match that just didn't have enough time and i think that's the theme like most of these matches you wanted to see more of there's one match that i needed to see much much less yes. of but we'll get there which, which by the way it's so weird this entire night was pretty much without storyline except for one match they just felt absolutely compelled yes. to still have <laughs> yeah but th- this match was really really uh Good for what it was. Uh, I've always been a fan of Chavo around this time period where he was a cruiserweight that could do some of the flying stuff, but he was also, you know, a bit more technical, a bit more grounded. And I thought him and uh, Helms had some good good chemistry here. Backstage, Booker T cuts a promo. Uh, his mic wasn't quite all there, but eventually he did say that while tonight might be the end of a chapter, there are still many more pages in his book. So he's sticking to that uh, that turn of phrase. Booker then issues an open challenge to anyone and everyone out there, a challenge that would never be answered by anyone as he was not seen again <laughs> until King of the Ring uh, later that year. <sighs> I, I love you know I love me some Booker T, and and I think that he's he's a he can be a very good promo. This 
was not one of them. You know, we had the technical glitch at the beginning, uh, but also like the substance of what he was saying. I think it goes back to the weirdness you were talking about at the beginning of the show, Brian, where, you know, Booker had to think of, you know, I got to cut a promo and he's probably putting a lot of pressure on himself. This has got to be the best promo of my life. And, and, you know, what ended up happening was, let me tell you this. And this is what I'm going to tell you. And when I say this, let me tell you again how I'm going to say it when I tell you. It was kind of like that uh, Kevin Hart commercial with Mean Gene that's, that's uh, airing now, where it's like, let me tell you, when I get in the ring, when I do what I do, it's done how I do it. Yeah. And it's like, ugh. Like, I, I love Booker, but this promo was uh, nothing nothing memorable, but at least he ends up uh, landing on his feet with uh, the WWE. Yeah, it's a little deer in the headlights, wasn't it? And it's, it's strange how... Um, you know, he can cut a promo like this on the last day of WCW and he's like, you know, he's, he's already got the job because he's won the title. But then literally a few weeks down the line, a few months down the line, he's like suddenly the most charismatic guy in the roster and he's like cutting these incredible promos and he's doing these amazing things. So it's, you know, maybe Vince uh, has got, maybe, maybe Vince knows a little bit more about promos than we think. Match number four, Team Canada going for the tag titles. Team Canada is now Lance Storm and Mike Awesome, who were feuding on the last episode we reviewed, so things have changed. Storm calls for the anthem, so that hasn't changed, and we go to commercial. (laughs) Back from commercial, we go to Michael Cole in a WrestleMania 17 jersey, interrupting Vince and Trish feeling each other up. Again, uh, I I get that they're building up anticipation for the thing that happens at the end, but it was just so clear that... Vince had no idea what any of the stories in WCW were, had no idea who any of the characters were, and had no interest in putting on a decent episode of Nitro as a fitting send-off. He clearly thought the only thing of any value on this episode was that simulcast at the end. And that was the only thing you had to build for. And Well, there's a way to build to it without detracting from the hour and a half that comes before it, which is, I think, what these Vince McMahon segments did. Like, I think there's a way to both keep the specter of Vince McMahon in the minds of the WCW viewers. You know, we, we can cut back to him maybe getting hair and makeup done. You know, we don't need to see him groping women and belittling an announcer with frosted tips. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't need all of this extra stuff that Vince is putting on. On top of this, you know, we can have our little quick cutaways to the to uh, Cleveland uh, and, and, and see what Vince is up to. But there was a way to do it where the WCW of it all would still be front and center. But ultimately, by the time we get to the end of this episode, it's pretty much an afterthought. We then go to the, we then go to the Nitro announcers who react to the shit that they just watched. Presumably, they had no idea what they're going to be showing before it happened. Uh, then out <laughs> comes the tag champions, Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo. It's good to know that even though a lot has changed over the last couple of months, uh, these two are still shitty wrestlers. Uh, all four men are in the ring, and then Team Canada cleans house. There's a double Irish whip on Palumbo. O'Hare trips Storm and drags him outside as Awesome sets up Palumbo for the Awesome Bomb. Palumbo breaks the move and hits the jungle kick. O'Hare comes uh, comes off the top, hits the Shantan Bomb for the win. The tag champions retain them. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think they dropped them the very first chance they could uh, to like the Dudleys or something in WWF. If I'm Vince McMahon and I'm looking at the assets of these performers, 
there are certain spots that I'm, you know, I've got, I got my little chart. I've got my little notepad. These are guys that I think can, you know, be awesome mid-carders. These are guys that I think can possibly be main eventers. And these are some people that, you know, I'll sign but put in developmental. And that's where Palumbo, O'Hare, people of that ilk, Jindrak, that's exactly where they would have gone. Like, I wouldn't have even given them time on the main roster until they went through our developmental system. And so having them go over on, you know, guys like Lance Storm, uh, Keeper 2000 alumnus Lance Storm, uh, Commissioner of Regular Ass Wrestling Lance Storm, and Mike Awesome, who is actually getting back to being a serious threat and not, you know, that 70s guy or the fat chick thriller, uh, it's it's a bit of a mistake. I think um, O'Hare was... It showed me something a little bit in the last uh, few episodes we've had. Um, he's definitely got something. I don't know what it is, but he, he definitely has something. Like you said, they all need to go through, you know, whether it be Memphis or OVW or whatever it is coming up um, and need some help. Um, Palumbo, uh, it's rare that a Mike Awesome match includes someone who has worse hair than him. And I think Chuck Palumbo ticks that box perfectly. Uh, Mike Awesome's had a nice, lovely new haircut, and Chuck Palumbo's just shitting on his gimmick. I ain't got anything else to say about that, to be honest. Other than O'Hare and Palumbo came up to some really weird, campy Euro disco music. Is that was that like uh, normal for them, or it was a bit Alex Wright? Yeah. Not that. Not there's anything wrong with very, that. Very Where is Alex so. Wright? Yeah, I, no, I don't have a problem with that. So <laughs> onwards and upwards. <laughs> So uh, the opposite of right was uh, this next match. It was a tattoo match. <laughs> oh, no. Sean Stasiak versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh. Yes, this was one match they felt they needed to pay off. Um, if Bigelow wins, he'll get to tattoo Stasiak. If Stasiak wins, nothing will happen. So, you know, guess what's going to happen here? <laughs> Stacy Keebler comes out first, and she uh, teases dancing, but then doesn't. It's We've seen it before. Bigelow then makes his way out before Sean Stasiak can cut a promo. Bigelow threatens to hit Stasiak with the tattoo kit, but Stacy gets shoved in the way. Uh, the ref tries to grab the tattoo kit, allowing Stasiak to get in a strike. Stasiak controls for a while, misses a flying body splash. Bigelow goes up top, hits a diving headbutt, but then Stacy distracts the ref. Stasiak swings, but Bigelow grabs Stasiak uh, for the greetings from Adversary Park. However, Stacy grabs Stasiak's legs, allowing Sean to break three, to break free, and gives opponent the neck breaker and uh, and the win. This went less than 90 seconds. I can't imagine why they booked this. Uh, Bam Bam obviously never showed back up in WWE. Sean Stasiak somehow was signed and became a total just mid-card, heel, uh, mid-card comedy character. But why the fuck this made on? The only thing I can think is that WWF wanted to see how Stacey Keebler acted because she probably was what this whole thing was booked around. It was all about Stacy. I just I just have one pressing question because it wasn't made clear in the stipulations for this match. If Stasiak lost, was the tattoo to be administered on this Nitro or would that have been a stipulation that would have had to be carried over to the WWE? They had a tattoo kit, so I think it would have happened there. Oh, see, I, I wish that I wish that it, it was a situation where you know he'd have to get his uh, tattoo the following week, and so we'd have to continue to drag this meaningless angle that somehow wound up on the final Nitro onto the next Raw. That next, I, week. I think if anything, Bam Bam Bigelow would have been making his appearance on Heat uh, the next uh, Sunday. And who would have been um, like delivering the tattoo, and what would it have been of? It would have been of maybe uh, some fire on the skull. Oh, do we, we then shave Sean Stasiak's head? 
So it's a bit like Bam Bam's. Wasn't that a wasn't Albert's original gimmick like a tattoo what, a, guy? A, a yes, yeah. yeah, tattoo and a piercer or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Albert could have given them the the, the tattoo, and uh, I, I don't know what it would have been of. Um, <laughs> this, like you said, Brian, is like this is seems to be more about Stacy than Sean and Bam Bam. Um, there was a really weird moment at the start. Did you see that? I don't know um, if they've been romancing the stone, these two, um, Stasiak and Stacy. But um, Stasiak went to kiss Keebler, and then Stacy sort of like lent her neck back. And then Sean Stasiak panicked and then kissed her on the chin, which was like the least sexy thing that's ever happened on television ever. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't have any more to add to that, other than the fact that Bam Bam. Other than the, that's that's a good right? point to bring up, this Chris. Been because there's been a little bit of romance going on before that I've missed. See, because the last time we saw Stacy, she was involved with David Flair, and so now I'm I want to see what the what the of intervening you've months. All this as well, I'm just assuming that you've gone like through chronologically, but you know, can you not remember all those years ago? What, what happened? I'm intrigued. <laughs> I shouldn't be, but I am. Uh, the only other thing I have is like, um, and I'm going to get to this in the main event, but why is Bam Bam Bigelow wearing a t-shirt? He was always a big fat lad, so he doesn't need to wear a t-shirt to cover his, up his body unless he was promoting something. But he's, I, been, I, he's been wearing uh, he's wearing the shirts more and more lately. He has? Okay. Was he promoting something on that shirt? Because I don't recognize the shirt. I was trying to look at it, and it was like... Hey, maybe he had a deal. Maybe he had a deal with the Nitro Grill. That he got to eat free if he wore the shirt on TV. <laughs> no more questions, Your Honor. Back in uh, WWF country, <laughs> William Regal tells Vince McMahon that WCW is a bloody awful place. Uh, ironically, William Regal mm. would become the commissioner of the invasion many months later. Nobody will remember. Earlier today, DDP speaks positively about his experience in the company. DDP thanks all the fans for letting him make it. DDP says it's not the promoters that decide who's over, it's the fans. So DDP was in Florida, but not used on this show for whatever reason. <laughs> so was he there in Florida, but he just couldn't be bothered to turn up to the show? No, no, Kayfabe, I think he was there. I mean, I, if I had to guess, it's just that he had uh, talked to WWF. They thought they might be bringing him in. They didn't know what the creative would be, and so they just didn't put him on this show. <laughs> they just said, yeah, we might sign you later, but in the meantime, you can fuck off. It also looked like his skin was about to melt off. He looked like he had melanoma. I know he's like not the youngest of fellas, but like he needs to put some cream on his shoulders because, like, oh my goodness, he looked he looked sick. That might have been my favorite part of the promo is that DDP, but no, he wasn't even bothered to go to the to the studio. He's just like, hey, bring me a camera and let's yeah. let's shoot this here on the beach in 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 front of these sailboats, and I'll quote Grateful Dead lyrics and and I'll, there's definitely a pina colada just off stage. Yep, it, I'll just phone this in real quick, and then uh, I can get back to drinking. Hundred percent. We then get a clip montage of past WCW champions. Oddly missing were David Arquette and Vince Russo. <laughs> we then get another Vince McMahon video where yeah, listen. We've ragged on Vince. This video was was pretty necessary. We saw him put his jacket on. Mm. That was it. It was tremendous. <laughs> Match number six, those Cruiserweight tag titles are finally on the line. Primetime Elix Skipper and Kid Romeo defending against Kidman and Rey Mysterio. Who the fuck are these lads? <laughs> First of all, sorry about this. I don't mean to interrupt, but Rey and Kidman are doing double duty. And like, you know... Rey Mysterio is a star, not in his current guise, but he is a star, and he's doing double duty. Where the fuck is everyone else? And then they've got these other two jabronis 
this guy it's Skipper and Kid Romeo. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, Kid Romeo with his Pamela Anderson tattoos on his arms. I'm, I'm, I was just like, what a c- complete waste of time this is. And it was. Yeah, so uh, I'll give you guys a guess as to who won this match. Uh, <laughs> Kidman hits the Kid Crusher to become the second and final Cruiserweight Tag Champions with Ray. Uh, Nate, I will say, actually, I think the idea of Cruiserweight Tag Belts, not the worst idea, especially considering that we were seeing back last year a lot of cruiserweight performers that if they're not in the main mix just kind of get left off the show they don't have secondary cruiserweight feuds in this company yeah and then this was an interesting time for the wcw cruiserweights because a lot of the older cruiserweights were kind of gone and you had guys like elix skipper uh like Kid Romeo, like AJ Styles and uh, Air Paris, who weren't on this show, like Christopher Daniels, uh, pretty much a lot of TNA guys uh, that uh, were kind of the nucleus of this new 01 WCW Cruiserweight division. And yeah, this was this was par for the course for the night. Another spot fest that was way too short. Uh, but yeah, if I mean, then now we have the prestigious lineage of the WCW Cruiserweight Tag Team Champions. Uh, number one is Elix Skipper and Kid Romeo, and number two is uh, the Filthy Animals. So uh, that's your history note for the week. Uh, this would be the last time that I mentioned Shivani, but um, I did. I, d- I did notice that he called. You know, Ray Duddy does his like from the apron springboard. It's like a springboard seated senton. Uh, Shivanto called it a Thez mm-hmm. press. Which I th- which made me laugh. <laughs> Close enough. He's like, fuck it. And also, wasn't there a bit in there just before Ray did a um, a Bronco Buster in the corner? Kidman did like a baseball slide to the bollocks of what was it? Was it yes, Romeo yeah. or the other lad? Yep. It was Skip. I was, it was like, a skipper. Um, is the, the, yep. I know that like a few weeks prior, um, Bischoff mentioned the you know when they did the the. Bischoff Russo sort of re- relapse or whatever it was called the you know, when they started things over um, that they were going to relax the rules a little bit more and let you know and the referees were going to be a bit more lenient. Are low blows now allowed or did the referee just go oh fuck it, it's the last day you know like the last day at school when you get to bring like a game or something and you get to like just have the day off. I don't know. I, Is it just like that? What's I think on? it was just. A, I think it was a pretty move, so they let him do it. Okay, all it's right. A fun looking move. Mm. that's a great explanation Mm. so hold on there's one thing brian i don't know if you picked up but this other than seeing elix skipper uh who i I loved in tna my favorite thing about this match is we got sassy (laughs) tony shivani like sassy shivani is my favorite character on this program when he throws shade at william regal did they did they do because i i think they cut that out of the um the network version because i remember him saying no no it was there was it still on there did i just drift off or something i must have drifted off because I was just waiting minutes for it. later that uh, they do it. Okay, I must have drifted off. Uh, just Sassy Shivani might be my favorite character of the, on the show. My, my other favorite thing about Shivanto as well is that um, last 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 show, he's like, do you want a job at WWE? He's like, no, nah, fuck it. He's got his double XL jumper on. Doesn't give a shit. Hasn't even done his hair. He's just like, yeah. <laughs> like Mark Madden's even wearing a suit just thinking, oh, I'll tell you what, this is my big break. And Shivani's just like, no, nah, I'm going home. Go here, I'm gonna work in Starbucks and like commentate on baseball and have a good time instead. <laughs> Bless him. I will say Tony 
Tony thought that he was getting a job with WWF. That's all I'll say. Do you think so? I, I, I don't know about that. I heard an interview with him that he turned up at like Twi- uh, Titan Towers in a suit, but he was because he was um, he was auditioning for another job, which was um, like a thing for a baseball commentator. But I heard another story that he showed up drunk off his ass in a leather jacket at WWF New York, bragging that he was about to be commentating Raw. Oh no! That sounds more likely, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no, I, I Tony! I bet, I, bet, I bet it was like the most ill-fitting leather jacket you've ever seen as well. It's like he just he just stepped off his Harley. You know, just like, stay here, sweetheart. I'm just going into Titan Towers to get a job. I'm imagining Tony Schiavone in like a head-to-toe 100%. Eddie Murphy raw pleather <laughs> outfit. So glowing his hair, he's loving just... it. <laughs> so. Uh... This uh, this episode shot up real high on Nate's approval uh, index when Sting appeared backstage cutting a promo in a room filled yes. with hanging bats. Yes, uh, love it. This was definitely a Vince McMahon production uh, yes. at this standpoint. This had never been a motif <laughs> for him, and it's just so funny that how e- so many things are phoned in on this episode, but Bruce Pritchard said, fuck it, hang those bats up for this promo. I... The only thing I could think was that they really <laughs> thought they were going to be signing Sting after this. And then, spoiler, they really didn't do that for uh, for about 15 mm. years. Yes, this this is not obviously the one of the better Sting promos, but it, it might be one of my favorites just because Sting, like, we've seen an unmotivated Sting. We've seen a Sting be labored by bad booking and, and terrible ideas and mismatched opponents. Uh, sorry, Dale Torborg. Uh, but to have Sting knowing he's got one last match with Flair and, you know, he's got this, he's he's got the stupid bat motif like you mentioned, Brian, but he finds a way to make it work. Like the moment where he snatches the one bat, I'm like, you know what? This guy's good. That's this why I like this guy. He's got so National much charisma, treasure that he is. I mean, it's like it's not one of his cooler promos. I prefer it when he's um, when he's doing the crow gimmick. I prefer it when he's a little bit more soft spoken and a little bit more dark. Um, but this is kind of like a bit harking back to his old like surface sting promos and stuff. That so it's a bit like you know a bit hokey eighties. But maybe he's thinking, oh, Vince will like this, or maybe he just wants to go home. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I enjoyed it. Another spring break video. This time plugging AOL. Man, what a way to rub salt in the wounds of WCW. <laughs> they merge with Turner. They kill this company. They sell it off for $2 million. But hey, when you're on the way out the door, we're going to plug AOL Virgin, version <laughs> 6 one more time. Um, though I got to say, Nate, honestly, in the year 2018, WCW is probably the more profitable brand out of the two. Yeah, because this this is when AOL was still sending out the, uh, the, the little the mailers. Discs. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, this 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 entire episode is a lot of uh, dead brands like AOL. Was this the promo that had the um, the credit cards on with the wrestlers on it? No, 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 or no. Is this that coming is for AOL. You guys had AOL. Yeah, I just, yeah. I'm just there was. I swear there was a promo. I don't know if it's coming up or it has happened in the past. But there was like there was a commercial about how you could get credit cards with your favorite WCW wrestlers on them. I don't think that was on this show with the WC because we we've spoken about the WCW Mastercard before, but I, I don't think it was on this episode. How great would it have been if you had a WCW credit card? As soon as the company went out of business, all of your debt was absolved, totally <laughs> forgiven. You no longer have to pay it off. <laughs> oh, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But there's like a two dollar limit on it because that's all it's worth. 
they'll send you a Triple H card in the in exchange for it. <laughs> so you go from DDP to Triple H, or, or you get a Vince McMahon. We then go to the main event of the Vince McMahon pre-tapes. It is him walking. Nothing else, just walking. Main event. <laughs> hey, how you doing, pal? I'm, I'm doing good, random security guard. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's brilliant. Main event time down in Florida as the Nature Man <laughs> makes his way out in a t-shirt. The oh. announcers say this might be <laughs> his final match. Sting makes his way out, and the announcers talk about how Sting never jumped ship. He never went to the WWF. Got some bad news for you guys now. <laughs> so Nitro ends with the same match that it started with, Sting versus Flair. Now now tell me, Nate, did do you think these guys did more or less in this match than they did in the one they had 10 years later in TNA? No, I, I, th- I definitely think they, they worked hard in the TNA match. Uh, this match is interesting, Brian, and, and, and once you kind of lay it out for the people, I, I'll, I'll have my thoughts. But this is, I'll just say, this is not nearly one of their best matches, but it might be one of one of my favorite matches for sentimental reasons. Yeah, they were kind of going through their greatest hits, weren't they, a little bit? And uh, uh, it, it kind of, I got the impression yep, that, yep. And, and I know Blair hadn't worked for a few months, but I got the impression that he almost felt like it was his last match or, you know, that the, the, the future was uncertain for him. So he was doing everything that he could. I mean, he always puts Sting over huge anyway, but like it felt like even more so tonight that he was just doing everything that he possibly could to make Sting look like the man going into, the, uh, into his WWF run, which is obviously going to happen next week. Um, can we talk about Flair's t-shirt for a little bit instead of, you know, because we were talking about Bam Bam's uh, earlier on. Yeah, it's it's a bit sad because even in TNA, he wouldn't wear the, the, the shirt. But uh, by that point, I think he had given up. He, he's like, hey, I, st- I look pretty good for a 50-year-old. Yeah. Uh, by this point, I think he was still trying to look good for a mid-40-year-old, and he, he might not have been. Can I offer an alternative? Yes. There was, uh, there was Flair, and he had a match with Sting. Uh, against Arn and Pillman, where he turned on he turned on Sting, obviously again for like the fifteenth time. It was in like ninety three, ninety four, or something. You know, I'm sure somebody's screaming at me saying the exact date. Um, but he was wearing like slacks, and I'm not sure if he was shirtless. I think he even had like a like a polo neck on or a shirt on or something like that. He could have just done that because he cut the promo <laughs> in the suit. All he needs to do is like, oh, I wasn't prepared to fight tonight, but I will do. I'll do it in streetwear. You know how like in the old like in Texas and stuff, they'd go they'd go wearing the jeans and the cowboy boots and stuff, you know, and just like go for a like a street fight mentality. He could have done that and got away with it, and I think it would have been a little bit better. Well, I think at this point, Flair, honestly, I did. I think he did think he was done wrestling, right? Because when he came into WWF, he didn't think he'd be wrestling at all. He thought he would just be an authority figure character. Yeah. Um. So this, he might have honestly thought this would be his last match. I think he wanted to wear the robe one last time. He could still wear the robe over the slacks. That's still possible. Yeah. So uh, Flair gets whipped in the corner, but doesn't quite hit the Flair flip all the way. Sting then gets a superplex, <laughs> then a scorpion deathlock, and he wins. They gave these guys some time. They went a little over seven minutes. Uh, after the match, Sting and Flair embrace and shake hands. We then cut straight to Raw while Sting and Flair are showing each other respect. No need to view this moment uh, in its entirety. <laughs> really awkward cut, wasn't it? Straight to Vince, who didn't look ready. He actually, Didn't he walk up back up the ramp? Yeah. 
so he could like do his entrance again because he pointed he at Lillian. He the entrance twice. Yeah, really weird. He pointed yeah. at Lillian, and then Lillian in, uh, in uh, you know introduced him again. I'm like, fucking hell, this isn't very WWF. <laughs> oh, there's there's one moment in this match, Brian, that that might be one of my favorite moments in any wrestling match I've ever seen, and it's the moment about midway through where. Uh, Flair gets whipped into the ropes and, and Sting's getting ready to leapfrog and Flair puts on the brakes and Sting smiles at Flair and then Flair's like halfway laughing at Sting and it's like like they, they know what this is. Like this is, like you said, the greatest hits. This is, we're not out here trying to outdo uh, Clash of the Champions, but you know, we're, we're going to, you know, close the doors. We're going to turn the lights out on this place and uh, the, the, the hug at the end of the match where You've got, and this is this is to me the 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 perfect encapsulation of Flair and Sting, where Sting keeps trying to hug Flair, and Flair keeps trying to raise Sting's hand and put Sting over, but Sting wants them to be on equal footing and and walk off into the sunset together. It's 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 wonderful, and you got Shivani. Like I think, in a perfect world, they would have let that moment breathe more, but we had to get to uh, the real main event of the night. I think in a perfect world, they would have just let like Ric Flair fucking low blow him. And just one last time, turns on Sting. <laughs> Set up that <laughs> TNA match. It is main event time. Uh, Vince McMahon is... Uh, it's, it's what we all came for. Why else would you watch a wrestling program other than to see Vince McMahon? Uh, Vince McMahon starts off by plugging his match that Sunday against Shane McMahon. Yes, this was also on top of everything else, the go-home show for uh, WrestleMania 17. Vince then talks about what he'll do to WCW and jokes about watching Hulk Hogan doing his arm-shaking thing on video. Vince then asks the crowd to approve or disapprove various WCW wrestlers and his plans. Um, guys like Hogan got booed. I think Sting got a pop. Bagwell got a pretty good pop. So did Booker T. They were so-so about Goldberg. Luger got a huge pop. Luger got a huge pop. Luger, who never got the call. <laughs> I, I, might be, I might be exaggerating that one just because I'm such a big Luger fan. But uh, in my head, Luger got a huge pop. He got a huge pop in my, in, in my front room when I was watching it earlier <laughs> on today, which is the best thing. I, I noticed how uh, Vince, he did the thumbs down, a thumbs up and thumbs down. And like, uh, none of the guys that actually participated in the evasion, other than Booker T., and, well, he did Bagwell as well, who was there for one match before he got shit-canned. It's like, where's the thumbs-up, thumbs-down for what we're actually going to get, which is Sean O'Hare and Sean Stasiak and General Hugh Erection and, <laughs> you know, and Van yeah. Hammer or whatever the fuck we got, you know? Uh, it, 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 <laughs> he, he's doing these thumbs-up, thumbs-down. He's going, oh, well, this is really interesting. So, but they cheered for most of them, and you didn't bring any of them in. So... Uh, Vince then uh, gloats about all his accomplishments and saying that he's going to go down to Panama City and look all the WCW stars in the eyes to say you're fired. Uh, he then proceeds to say that WCW uh, will be buried and it will remain so. He gets some asshole chants. He rants a little bit, but then he is cut off by his own music. Yes, Shane was using Vince's music at the time. And Shane McMahon walks out. Not on Raw, but on Nitro, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, Shane McMahon is in Panama <laughs> City. There's a one-second delay, though, between the two, so that's a little weird. Shane talks about how Vince wanted Ted Turner to come to WrestleMania 17 to finalize the deal. Shane says that the deal is finalized with WCW, and the name on the contract says McMahon. 
Shane McMahon. <laughs> he says that WCW kicked Vince's ass in the past, and it will again. Um, I guess it did briefly for a couple of weeks over the summertime. <laughs> kick his ass. Um, the show ends with Vince looking puzzled, and we then get a promo for tonight's big matches on the real show you should give a fuck about, Raw. We don't go back to Panama City. There's no thank you for watching. There's nothing. If you're watching on the network, there's a very odd good night and goodbye from the satellite, which I think just got caught up in the satellite feed. But Nate, I gotta say, for this being our final episode, this was prophetic. They <laughs> left that Easter egg there just for you and I 17 years later on this Hey, episode. it's long-term booking at its finest. Uh, but this, this entire thing was just strange and, and kind of a peek into the mindset of uh, one Vincent Kennedy McMahon because, you know, going back to the kind of Roman emperor thumbs up, thumb down kind of thing, it just felt like it in, in storyline, like that's, that's not the best way to evaluate talent. Like I think there was a better way to come across on TV to, to uh, gauge the fans interest in these guys, like maybe just saying their name and hearing the reaction. Because uh, the the whole thumbs up, thumbs down thing kind of got convoluted after a while. I think Vince was confusing himself on the, on the reactions at, at one point. Uh, but then when we get to the Shane McMahon segment, that was obviously it's obviously one of the most memorable moments on on, on wrestling television. Uh, but I thought in my mind, Brian, like I thought that Shane was a lot better than he actually was on this episode. I think you just explained everything about Shane McMahon. Like, <laughs> that is the reaction that I always have when I watch Shane McMahon. Like I thought, like going back to my memories before I rewatched it this week, I thought Shane came out and cut this crazy promo. He's like, and dad, WCW is going to kick your ass again because the name on that contract is Shane McMahon. I thought it like he had a lot of, of, of passion in his delivery, uh, but it was very matter of fact. It, it, you know, he got the right points across leading up to their match at uh, WrestleMania X seven, but it wasn't this rousing, you know, storm and Norman general Patton, Ric Flair at the top of the show speech that I had remembered in my mind. And so kind of going back and watching it, 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 it's historic, Chris, but it, it wasn't nearly the great television moment that I remember it as. Um, I thought that Shane and Vince's promo as, you know, I mean, it's iconic. So there are certain, you know, there are certain sort of like, you know, songs that are iconic whether they're good or bad, you don't know. Whether they're going to do the right thing for the music business in the future is a different thing. This is I kind of like feel the same way with this. Um, I do remember a lot of a lot of guys, uh, wrestlers around that time who have spoke about Shane McMahon have just said you know that he wanted to purchase ECW, put it on the internet, and like create sort of like a new and exciting brand and stuff. And all I could think of around this time was like, I wish this was a shoot. I wish like Shane did actually split off from his dad and buy WCW for real and have, you know, uh, a TV contract or put it on SmackDown or, you know, where SmackDown was and then go head to head and let Shane do it and just let him, you know, Vince's ego is so huge. But at the same time, I mean, could you imagine, uh, let's face it, like WCW was in the toilet by this time, but it wasn't 
the fact that WCW was so shit that it went under, I mean, it was a contributing factor, but it was the AOL Time Warner merger. And if this had happened a couple of years earlier, then you've got Hogan, you've got Hall and Nash and Goldberg and Brett and Macho and Luger and Bagwell and DDP and Sid and numerous other others, huge stars that could go head to head with the WWF. And then you could cross promote and it could be brilliant. And, it, you know, this is what we all wanted from this invasion angle. And, of course... We got, like I said, Sean O'Hare, Sean Stasiak, and Hugh uh, Morris. <laughs> a very weird, unexpected ending uh, for me as a fan at the time. I had been watching both companies, so I, I did pop for it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was interesting. I, I, I kind of liked that, um, in a way, they seem to be saying, hey, this story over here is going to continue. Mm. Um I don't know. So, so the the real pitch of this episode was to tell people, hey, if you're a WCW fan, switch over, start watching uh, uh, Raw. Looking at the numbers here, I just want to let everyone know um, this Raw did a four point six, while Nitro did a three point oh for their final broadcast. Nitro got a big bump with it being their final episode. While WWF would experience a slight bump after Mania, they would go back to a four point six one month later. So that 3.0 watching the final Nitro just never came to WWF. They just stopped watching altogether. Do you think it might have something to do with Vince McMahon slagging off the entire WCW um, fan base by calling them rednecks from Panama City, Florida? I think it might have. <laughs> so, so the next time people tell you that Vince McMahon uh, is a genius, just know that, well, actually, he just, uh, you know outlasted his competition and then absorbed none of their fans so quite the genius there vince mcmahon um yeah like the thing is if you know getting back to that final scene with shane if you're a wcw only viewer at that time you know much like you brian i was watching both i was watching you know everything i could get my hands on at the time uh, in terms of pro wrestling but if you're we're only somebody that was you know I grew up watching, you know, Jim Crockett promotions and the NWA and and WCW, and that's that's my brand. There was nothing on this show to entice you to change the channel. Like even the little hope spot, uh, so to speak, at the end with Shane, where it's like, okay, you know, yes, it'll all be under the WWE umbrella, but you know, we'll still get to see these stories continue, and then these these titles will continue to have that lineage. There was nothing to, you know give you much hope beyond what Shane McMahon said. And I've already noted, he didn't say it quite as convincingly in real life as I thought he did in my mind. So yeah, this was not a great rally the troops moment for the WCW only, the WCW only crowd. And so it's no surprise that that particular fan never really came back. And it's one of the, the big what ifs in, in wrestling history. Like, there was a lost generation almost with a bunch of fans that never came back. And, you know, yes, WCW, you know, 3.0 at the time, that's that's not great. That's not the numbers that they had at their peak. But TNA, Ring of Honor, you know, uh, PWG, uh, hell, New Japan would kill to have numbers like that on an American cable outlet these days. And there's a bunch of fans that just never came back they found something else whether it be mma or you know some other sport altogether to satiate that need and it was a missed opportunity for Vince McMahon. so uh maybe maybe he popped that champagne cork a little bit too early chris to be honest nate i think wwe would take those ratings right now wouldn't they for raw and smackdown 
So now let's go around and, uh, you know, this episode, uh, I think we're all pretty much on the same page, but let's, uh, you know, it, it is time for us to choose our silver linings. Uh, Chris, you're our guest, so we'll, uh, we'll let you go first. What was your silver lining of this Nitro? Well, I think I mentioned this at the start um, about the, the Scott Steiner Booker T match being the best match that I've, um, uh, that I've seen whilst doing the, uh, doing the podcast, so that's definitely a silver lining. I'll go as far as to say that this is also the best Nitro that I've watched for your show yep. as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't really argue about that being a silver lining, can you? I've usually got something to complain about. Um, but today, pretty happy. Yeah. Like, I, I would go as far mm-hmm. as to say that this this entire show is a silver lining, minus the Vince McMahon parts. Like, for just an episode of WCW Monday Nitro, this is by far one of the best start-to-finish episodes we've seen. Yes, there was some some filler, some stuff that we didn't need, uh, like the Bam Bam Bigelow, Sean Stasiak stuff. But overall, this was you know good wrestling, albeit short wrestling uh, in terms of match length. Uh, you know, we had some nostalgia with Sting and Flair. Um, you know, we we had commentators that weren't there to make jokes about you know women and 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 the way they looked or insinuate that they want to have sex with them you know so yes i did not miss the character of mark madden on this episode (laughs) Uh, but if if anything if if i I was gonna say there was one thing i liked best of all it might be sassy shivani because for most of the night brian it it felt like the wcw guys were just kind of accepting their fate and Tony Schiavone was the one guy that was not going to take this lying down. Tony Schiavone mm-hmm. was here to talk smack. Tony Schiavone was here to throw shade. And uh, ultimately, you know, Tony Schiavone didn't end up with the WWE. But I liked, you know, sassy, feisty WCW through and through Tony Schiavone on this episode. I'm with you. He was like, he was amongst my favorite things on the, you know, from the moment that he turned up, like I said, in his double XL jumper. And then we're just going through and just sort of like just calling moves the wrong thing. But still, he had like this this passion that you haven't heard from Tony for a, a good like 10 years. And he had like a fire in his belly, even though, you know, uh, there was probably no reason for him to have that. And yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my silver lining with you. I'm going to go. I'm going to pick Tony as well. I got to say, this was such a... It was it was a standalone a good episode definitely a better episode because they kind of just let the guys wrestle there was no storyline so if you're a fan of wrestling you're gonna be satisfied um, for me the whole thing was just really more of a downer uh, you know this was this was the end um, of a lot you know uh, you know if you weren't a WCW fan it's easy to say you know hey a, a shitty company went out of business but. This was the end of any legitimate competition uh, to WWF. Um, it, it shaped a whole new um, era for for professional wrestling in America. Um, for the worse, I would say, if you really step back and look at it a, 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 as a whole. Um, but for me, the the silver lining has to be the fact that they actually had a video on hand of all the former champions. Now, if I had to guess, Turner probably cut it earlier in the week thinking this would be the Night of Champions episode of Nitro. Not that this was a tribute to uh, to stars of the past. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a shame. I just, you know, and th- th- this marked day one. You know, this marked day one of WWF owning everything and them getting to rewrite the history. So there never was a um, a, a loving farewell um, you know, if, if Nitro had gone off the air and then then they were purchased by WWF afterwards, like if this purchase had happened two weeks later and 
Turner just canceled it and didn't have one last episode of Nitro that was a McMahon production. I wonder what that would have been like, um, you know, if you'd had Bischoff there and maybe you get the whole guys out on the stage waving goodbye. Maybe Goldberg, Nash, maybe these guys actually do show up. Um, it just, for me, this being such a special show from my childhood, it's still depressing that this is how, uh, this is how it ended. I don't know what to say. I feel like I'm going to cry. Uh, (laughs) that's a good point chris real quick because brian mann at the time in 2001 what was your emotional state after this episode because i obviously i probably i probably had some uh, adult drinks at the time because i like ddp i like a lemon in my beer um so i probably had a couple uh that night but uh after the show i remember just kind of feeling not really sad as much as maybe numb and uh, kind of surprised at what I just witnessed over the course of this episode. I mean, I wasn't so old that I understood contracts and things like this. Um, I didn't realize that there would be a lot of negotiation that would need to happen. Um, I assumed, you know, that this was all... At WWF, they were coming off their best year of programming. Their, their, their storytelling was so incredible in 2000, and I just trusted them. And it wasn't until I would say maybe SummerSlam-ish that I just stopped watching altogether. Um, mm. The things I liked about wrestling were no longer around. Um, the characters I enjoyed were no longer around. And then I would check in every like six months and it'd be like, oh, you know, they did a Goldberg rock match. That's cool. Um, but it was many, many years uh, maybe a decade actually until I was really uh, watching uh, their programming at a regular basis again. So I was excited at the time and then my excitement just kind of faded away with a whimper. You know, it wasn't like they did an angle that just really pissed me off. It just got to a point where it just did not hold my interest um, anymore uh, at a certain point. There's still, there's still time to review the last week's episode. Just the Lex, just the Lex issue of the, of the last, uh, of last episode. Let's do that. Come on, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. Come on. Let's, li- let's live stream it. Just as Lex uh, will not be coming back, unfortunately, oh. Chris. Neither will you, because this is the final episode. Oh. But um, I did want to. Uh, y- you had to, you know, be here uh, for this, because, uh, because I just want to thank everybody. For you know everything you've done for the show, you gave us a, a an incredible theme song that is you know I'm 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 happy that it started every episode and and really you know just just starts each uh, satellite journey off on a much more professional uh, step than it should be. <laughs> oh, that means a lot. I mean, it's it's been so much fun like doing these shows with you. It's such a stupid idea that you had, and I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think sanity has kind of prevailed that you've just uh, escalated it right to the end. And uh, but like one <laughs> one one ending episode, and I'm like at the whistle by ending on a kind of a positive note, and uh, you know, anything can happen from now on, can't it? Yeah, I mean, Brian, you mentioned the the, the greatness that is the Keep It 2000 theme, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, also give a tip of the cap to uh, perhaps the silver lining of this entire program, Keep It 2000, and that was uh, the the gone but not forgotten Hogan Bump Challenge theme. Uh, (laughs) That's maybe the one thing I I, I most regret from uh, this last little run of, of episodes we've done is that and I never thought I'd say this, especially not in, in 2018, but I needed more Terry Bollea on these episodes. 
Oh, well, I needed more bumps to win more money, to be honest, when I was challenging Brian at the Hunk Hogan Bump <laughs> Challenge. But we've all been there. <laughs> I feel like I, I, should, I need to apologize for anyone that does actually play that game. Uh, yeah, me and Brian create a monster. But yes, Chris, thank you uh, once again um, for coming on the show. Hey, you guys are awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's amazing. And so uh, we have saved uh, the worst for last. Uh, the explanation for why uh, the show is uh, is ending. Uh, Nate, I know that all along you have been uh, the baby face and I've been the heel. And that's going to continue because the show <laughs> is ending because of me. Uh, I, so, so wait, wait, wait. Well, what you're saying is the fate of Keep It 2000 was in your hands? All along, yes, yes. All along. Um. Yeah, it really just comes down to, um, unfortunately, I just don't have enough time to really uh, uh, commit to do the show the way that, that, that we want to, to, to do it, the way that um, we think the fans deserve. Um, you know, I just felt like it was better to, to end uh, rather than to either give you guys a, a uh, you know, sort of a, a subpar product or sort of keep things in limbo with like, will there be another one? Will it be a couple weeks? Who knows? Could specials drop uh, from time to time? Possibly. But um, but yeah, unfortunately, it's just not something I'm able to commit the full time to. There's a lot of other um, other things coming up. And uh, I had to I had to, to throw something to the wayside. Unfortunately, this was the thing that, that didn't make the cut. Which that doesn't make any sense to me, Brian. Man, like out of out of all the things in your life that you could, you know, push to the wayside to free up some time, you chose Keep It Two Thousand. Why would you want to eliminate watching the work of Vince Russo from your life? To me, that that's something that enriches your life, Brian. Man, studying the work of the masters. <laughs> I know it certainly. It didn't. It, it listen. Uh, it enriched my life. It did not enrich anything else. Uh, I could say for sure. Not your soul, not your mind. <laughs> Which, um, you know, and actually that, that being brought up, um, something I want to mention and, uh, Nate, you and I, we, we've never mentioned this ever, uh, uh publicly, but, um, we've never been paid for any of, uh, of the shows you've heard us, uh, on ever uh w- that's not why i i did any of this it was um you know it was an, it was a great hobby and it was great uh you know jumping jumping on the skype and talking with nate whether if it was uh, podcasts um, whether it was politics or uh sports from time to time or movies or 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 anything i did mind the tna but that's a that's a different <laughs> thing um this has been such a, a, a fun ride to go down with you, Nate. And, and the thing that's interesting that I, I don't know if, you know, another thing I don't know if people know is that you and I still have never actually met yep. in person. Yep. Um, the first real conversation we ever had was the first episode of Review and Impact that we did together. If you go back and you you find that episode, whoever owns it now, ironically, Impact now owns it. <laughs> uh, if you... If you go back and listen to that episode, that is the first time you and I uh, talked. And and really, almost every conversation that we ever had was recorded in some form. So in a weird way, if you go back and you listen to all of it, you hear this whole 
this whole relationship, this whole friendship, and uh, it's a unique, you know, very 21st century way uh, to to have a friendship, but but Nate, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed all of it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very unique it's it's weird to use the word of, of the of the of the day uh much like the final episode of uh, nitro uh it, it's weird how you know these kind of relationships kind of form you know it it was very similar to my my friendship with marcus vanderberg from the kings of sport you know marcus now with marcus you know we had, had discussions online who i have met yes several you've times, met marcus several times i've met marcus in person once uh but uh, you know, the way that relationship came about and, and my relationship with John Pollock and Wei Ting and, and how that friendship has kind of blossomed through basically this crazy thing called pro wrestling and being a fan of pro wrestling and being, you know, somewhat of an analyst of, of the inner machinations of, of these companies and these bookers. And so, yeah, it's been a, a weird, I think I said it on the final episode of Review and Impact, uh, it's funny. Like I think now, like having final episodes has kind of become our gimmick, Brian. Because we it really <laughs> has. review an impact, <laughs> keep it one hundred. Now keep it two thousand. Uh, that's our gimmick. We're we're really good at goodbyes. Uh, but uh, you know, we just kind of happened to be put together by by the 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 genius of John Pollock, and uh, it worked. And uh, you know, it still works. Uh, in, and you know, I'm not closing the book on this. Uh, like you said, there's there's opportunities for us to uh, come back and, and power up the satellite, perhaps in the future. Uh, but for right now, uh, and I think the listeners can understand. You know, when you get a lot on your plate, and particularly when you're talking about work stuff and and, and quote unquote real life stuff, I think the listeners can understand that some things need to be put on the back burner, and and this is one of those. But uh, you know, don't don't be surprised if you know maybe down the road somewhere. You know, you, you hear the two of us again uh, speaking about terrible wrestling programming. Uh, that, that, that would not be that far-fetched, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I would always much rather surprise you guys rather than disappoint you. So I, I think that's more so the, uh, the approach uh, we're going to take uh, on that one. But, but you just mentioned, um, you know, John Pollock. And uh, to thank John and Way, who all those years ago decided to put us together and everything that came after that and then uh inviting us along you know with post wrestling that was you know it was it was honestly a great you know uh, i you know i i first got involved because i messaged those guys on facebook about going and reviewing the chaperone for them <laughs> uh back in the beginning of 2011 and i couldn't use my real name because i was interviewing uh, for a job at the WWE. So what you're saying is you've got a history of making bad decisions when it comes to pro wrestling. Yeah, but I always spend them, uh, spend that misery <laughs> into uh, uh, my own enjoyment. Uh, but yeah, and and then you know that was even before I worked at WWE. And then you know these years have gone by, and and you know they've they've been great friends. And the fact that uh, they then asked us to be a part of this, um, you know, it's it, it means a lot, and uh, that support. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't thank those guys, uh, enough either. Yeah. Those are, uh, you know, there's, and I would say this, even if I did not know John and way, uh, even if I didn't like John and way, I would say that they, you know, produce and create some of the best content, uh, in terms of, uh, combat sports and, and pro wrestling coverage, uh, that's available. And, you know, I, I started out as somebody that, that was just a listener and, and, uh, you know, to all these years later, be a part of the post family. Uh, it, it's, it's been pretty cool. And, and, you know, 
our relationship, Brian, man, has, has been very cool. Some of some of my favorite things that I've done in broadcasting have involved Brian, man, and I don't think that's something that I I would have said or I would have thought that I would say five years ago. So. <laughs> No, no disrespect to Brian Mann, but uh, you know, I, I did not think that you know some of the stuff we've done, uh, you know, with, with Keep It One Hundred and reviewing Impact and some of the WrestleMania specials, and and now uh, with Keep It Two Thousand, uh, they, they've been uh, some of the uh, most enjoyable times that I've had uh, behind the microphone. So uh, you know, I, th- I thank you for that, brother. And uh, like I said, this is a uh, you know to quote a wise man that we saw in this week's episode of uh, Nitro. Uh, the only thing for sure is nothing's for sure. Uh, but Nate, uh, we always, you know, go out with you. Nate, give the listeners that good word advice to carry them over forever. <laughs> yeah, for the rest of your days on this earth. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, again, thank you for downloading uh, and listening to Keep It 2000. Uh, again, want to give a shout out to uh, Brother Chris Abanowitz for once again being a test subject this week. Uh, and again, shout out to uh, Post Wrestling and all the postmarks out there. Uh, and I will leave us with the wise, wise words of the Grateful Dead uh, who were name-checked by DDP in that great Beats <laughs> promo on this week's edition of Nitro. And, uh, you know, let's use this to not only reflect on this week's Nitro, not only on the entirety of Keep It 2000, but also how we can apply these words to our everyday lives. <laughs>